We're turning to Acts chapter 1. This mighty book of Acts, rather Acts chapter 2, it is. The second chapter of Acts. And we're going to read much neglected and uh, much steered away from scriptures in these last days in which we live. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house, all the house, where they were sitting. And they were sitting. Don't miss that. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Notice they all again. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Punch and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, and in parts of Libya, about Serene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in, in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they weren't speaking anything blasphemous, they weren't speaking anything out of order. They were speaking about the wonderful works, <coughs> the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And others said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the leaven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day, at nine o'clock a.m. in the morning. But this is that, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass 
that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just one more verse from the chapter 4 of Acts chapter 4, please. And verse 33. 4 and 33. And with great power give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And we know the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his own precious word. Thirty-nine times I counted in the book of Acts, in the 28 chapters, the word great is mentioned. Great grace, great fear, great affliction, great joy, and on it goes. 39 times in 28 chapters, and that's saying something. It has to be the key word in the book of Acts. The first word that's mentioned as great in the book of Acts is chapter 4 and verse 33 where we read, with great power give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The last words of our Lord Jesus Christ before he was taken up at the ascension was, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then he was taken up. So the last words that he spoke on this earth before he was taken up is to the church, to all believers, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now that word power is where we get our word word dynamite from. It's the word dunamis. You all know that a stick of gelignite, one stick of gelignite can do damage. That's the word dynamite. So he says, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now as we continue this morning, our subject on revival... We preached on the price of revival. Last Sunday we preached on the problem of revival. And this morning I want to preach to you on revival and its power. The power in revival. We have before us here in Acts chapter 2 the first recorded revival in the church of Jesus Christ. And it is recorded as a pattern and as a blueprint for the church down through the ages. We always need to go back to the first mention of things. And this is the first Holy Ghost pouring out of revival. Many, many, many thousands have followed it down through the years. But this is the first pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the church. There never has been and there never will be another Pentecost The word Pentecost means 50th. It means the 50th day 
from our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. These 40 days he moved in and amongst them, appearing and disappearing, right up to 40 days until he was taken up. And then the 10 days, which 120 met in the upper room, brings it to the 50th day, and that's the day we started to read when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Now, this move and spirit on the 50th day, which is Pentecost, there will never be another Pentecost, but there will be many, many, and has been many, many more outpourings of the Spirit of God. And I believe yet there will be greater ones. Now, the Holy Spirit came in three phenomena. He came, first of all, with wind. Secondly, he came with fire. And I'm saying he because the Holy Spirit's a person. And thirdly, he came with tongues. He made himself he made, himself, uh, he made himself felt, he made himself seen, and he made himself heard. Now you must get that into your head this morning. He made himself felt with the wind, seen by the fire, and heard with the tongues. The wind speaks of regeneration. The wind bloweth, Jesus says, where it listed, speaking of the Spirit. The fire speaks of purification. And the tongues speak of proclamation. Now I want you to get that into your head. The wind speaks of regeneration. The fire speaks of purification. And the tongues speak of proclamation. Ye shall be witnesses unto me unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's one of the reasons he gives us the power of the Holy Ghost to speak, and you'll hear about that in a minute, to witness. Now, when this great Holy Ghost power fell on the early church, the whole city was turned upside down. Remember this, that there were thousands of people, thousands, and some would say maybe half a million and more gathered in for the Passover. They're from all over. But whenever the, whenever the Holy Ghost came down on the day of Pentecost, the whole city and the whole district was, in the words of Duncan Campbell about the revival in the Outer Hebrides, saturated with the presence of God. We read a wee bit about it here. They began to sing and they began to praise and they began to speak. Demons were cast out, prayer meetings were full. Repentance, conviction, restitution fell on the whole community. 5,000 souls were saved in a short time. And every day after that, they were added to the church. Hundreds and thousands were baptized by the Spirit and with water. The Lord's table was set up in homes all over the district. They met and they gave thanks and they gave praise to God. Great grace, great fear, great joy, great miracles, great wonders, and great power, great power was upon the people. My friend, that power is not evident today. I don't care where you go. And this power is the power of revival that some of us long and pray and hunger for. Now, what do we look for 
in a real genuine revival. You see, there's a lot of false fires today. There's a lot of people talking about revival and it's not revival at all. But Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet. There's a lot of things going on and it's not that. But this is that. And what do we look for when we're looking for a genuine Holy Ghost revival? You see, in all visitations of revival, and if you study them uh, scripturally or outside it, there's a pattern that we need to look for. Now, programs from revival to revival change. Different phenomena. Doesn't always be tongues, and doesn't always be wind, and there doesn't always be fire and that sort of a sand. There's different phenomena from, from revival to revival. But patterns don't, the pattern doesn't change. There emerges a pattern in all revivals that you read of. There emerges a pattern. And I wanted this morning, and I'm going to spend a few Sunday mornings, God willing, on this. I wanted this morning, I want to show you some of the patterns that we need to look for to see and know that this is a genuine, honest move of God that will convince us that this is that which the prophet spoke about. Now, the first thing that we need to look for, and you look for in all the revivals, is a man. Is a man. While women were used greatly in revivals afterwards and backing up and many other things, and as much we could say about that, never we read never of the women being the instrument in revival. Just the same as the apostolic band and, and the church and so on. And we're not going down into that this morning. But here we have Peter. Peter is a man who stands up amidst these 120 and became the spokesman and the preacher and became the mighty man used of God. Right on through to Acts chapter 9, you'll see Peter until Paul emerges the apostle and comes. And Peter took control because he was God's man. So we're going to look at God's man and then we're going to look at the very next thing, the mockery. And then we're going to look at the message. And then we're going to look at the miracles. And then we're going to look at the meetings, the prayer meetings. And then we're going to look at the multitude. And then we're going to look at the murmurs. Now, you don't fear I'm not doing all this this morning. That's a basic outline. But I hope this morning to look at the man and look at the mockery. And I want to set, get you into the mindset of what we're going to say in these great chapters that are so neglected and God has laid upon my heart. Now, let's look for a moment at this man that was the instrument used in the first great church revival. First of all, he was a faulty man. He was a faulty man. He had more inconsistencies and faults and failures laid against him than all the disciples put together apart from Judas. He was ignorant and unlearned. He was erratic and impetuous. He was boastful and arrogant. Fifty-three days before this, and if you want to go back 53 days to the day, you'll go back to the first week maybe in September. 
You go back to the first week in September and think of the man. Fifty-three days before this, he was blaspheming with oaths and curses and declaring to the ungodly that he never knew Christ. He says, I know not the man. I am not one of them. And after he saw the risen Christ, and after he walked with the risen Christ, he still went back to fish. Would you choose him to lead a revival? Would you choose him to preach the first sermon in the early church revival? Would you choose him to be an apostle and a pillar of the early church? Would you choose him to write two epistles? In the last two months, that's his CV. I can hear some of us saying, Oh, you can't have that boy about you. You can't let that boy anywhere near a church or a fellowship. Sure, two months ago, she was all sorts of things. And if he comes, I'll not be there. God help us, we have little forgiveness, some of us. Let me tell you that Duncan Campbell was a blasphemer. Evan Roberts was a blasphemer. Jock Troop was a blasphemer. Paul the Apostle was the chief of blasphemers. And such are some of you. And me, Paul says, such were some of you. Sodomites, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, fornicators, extortion. But now, but now, we're washed, loosed, set free from our sin. I'm glad that God forgives sinners. And I'm glad that he forgives the drunkard and he forgives the murderer and he forgives the sodomite. And he forgives a man like Peter. And I love that wee verse in Samuel that says this. He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the beggar from the dunghill. He sets him among princes and makes him to inherit the throne of glory. Hallelujah. And listen, my friend. Young or old in this meeting this morning, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your past is, God can use you in revival. Don't you switch off this morning and say, I ain't never be the man. Well, you just look at Peter. And it could be that there's some of you and maybe more of the one of you here listening to me and listening to me somewhere else this morning and God can use you in a mighty Holy Ghost revival in this land because God forgives. He was a blasphemer. Now the second thing about Peter is this. And this is something that we miss. He was a bargainer. He was a bargainer. Listen to what I'm going to say to you now. In Matthew 19 and verse 27, after the message of the rich young ruler, when Jesus let him go, when he would not sell all that he had and give to the poor and bow and follow him and take up his cross, Peter stood forward. And here's what Peter said. He said, we have forsaken all and followed thee. And he's talking about the nets and the boats and the fish and the family. And here's he says this, and this This shows me something about this man. What shall we have therefore? We have followed thee. We have left the nest. We have left the boat. What are we going to get for it? I tell you, when you hear a boy talking like that in the Lord's business, you run as far as you can away from When you come to the cross and when you come to Christ and when you come to surrender at the feet of Christ, my friend, you don't ask what I'm going to get out of it. What am I going to get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. 
If you're expecting anything to go through with God, if you're expecting anything as a pastor or a minister or an evangelist or a mission, if you're expecting anything but persecution and disappointments and suffering and abuse and misunderstanding, then forget it. Look for another job. I tell you, what are we going to get out of it? Nothing for ourselves, not to do with us. If you're looking for houses or cars or money this morning or popularity and an easy life, you do with the rich young ruler and run. If you're looking for early retirement this, this morning or redundancy or a bonus or a pension pot or a package at 60, go to the job centre tomorrow morning. You'd be better going now than in a couple of years' time and I'm speaking to young men who are thinking they're going to be pastors and thinking that they're going to be ministers and they're going to leave their job and and go out after God. Make sure you have the call. Make sure that God drives you into it. You'd be better going now than going in a couple of years when the children are school and, and they chase you out and they put you out of the manse and you have no home and your children crying and your wife with a nervous breakdown. And as a woman told me one day laughing, she said about her minister, we cut the corn. Oh, they'll cut the corn all right. We cut the corn on that boy and got rid of him. Well, they'll cut the corn. Oh, man, they will. Put you out on the street. What is it in it for me? Unless you come to the foot of the cross and die a thousand deaths, my friend, there's death. Accept a crown of side of wheat, fall into the ground and die. Has to be death. Nick, old Nicholson said about a dead man, you'll jump on him and shout at him and spit on him and do all sorts of things at him and he doesn't take effect on him. He, he just stays there. He's the same when you start and same when you finish. And unless you're dead in this job to men and to money, and to what people think and people say, unless you're called, you wouldn't be in it an hour. Talk, talking to someone who's speaking from experience. You wouldn't be in it an hour. If any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. What's in it for me, Peter? I'll tell you what's in it for me, Peter. There's a cross at the end of the journey and you'll be upside down on it. That was the man. That was the sort of man God used in revival. He was a blaspheming man. He was a bargaining man. He was a boastful man. In Matthew 14 and 29, he says, Lord, if every man forsake you, I'll not. I'll die with you. Boris Johnson said that. He says, I'll die in a ditch rather than give in. <laughs> we're into November and we're still in that crooked place. I don't hear read, read about him dying in a ditch. Oh, we can all make great statements. Peter says, Lord, if he were, uh, 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 I'll die with you. A couple of hours he was blaspheming him and cursing him. He was a faulty man. But the secret was this. And here's what I want to drive home this morning. The secret was this. He was a filled man. Because, you know, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. That changed everything, didn't it? 
That turned the man round. Prior to this, prior to this, he is eternal. Of course he was saved. He was preaching. He was casting out demons. He was a child of God. He was in there whenever they raised Jairus' daughter. He was, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw it all. Of course he was saved. Of course he was born again. He had eternal life, but he had an abundant life. And there's so many of God's people, and that's just what they have. They're saved and that's all. Oh, don't talk to me about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I will. If you don't want to come back the next Sunday morning, then don't, but I will. Because this was the secret here, being filled with the Holy Ghost. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, abundant life. Some call it filled, some call it baptized, some call it sanctified. I don't care what you call it. But there is an experience with God after salvation. And it's the greatest need of the hour in the church. That's why we're dry. That's why we're not witnessing. That's why we're not seeing God moving. That's why we have no desire in prayer. No doctrine has been more neglected by so-called wing of the fundamental church than the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. We spend days and hours preaching and writing on the doctrine of Christ, and quite rightly so, on the doctrine of the Godhead. We preach about the trumpets and the tabernacles and the temples and the tents and the tribes. But we speak little on what's called, and I hate it called, the third person of the Trinity. He's no inferior, more inferior than any of the rest. Our bookshelves are filled with Christology, theology, psychology, eschatology. But the Holy Spirit is hardly mentioned. There's a fear of the Holy Ghost. He was a faulty man. He was a filled man. He was a faithful man. He was a fearless man. He was a fruitful man. And I can't go on down those for we haven't time. And if God used this man, if God used Peter as the prodigy for the first revival preacher and the first instrument of revival, he can use you and he can use me. If we're filled with the Holy Ghost. I was 10 years saved when I had the encounter with God and filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, I've filled and every time I got up here this morning I had to be filled before I got up because as old Moody says, we leak. Of course we leak. There's an initial filling of the Holy Ghost and we need to keep filling, keep filling, keep filling. Fill to preach, fill to pray, fill to witness. But there is a, there's an initial encounter my friend, and you need to seek it if you haven't got this this morning. You need to get down before God this morning and be prepared to put all on the altar to him and say, Lord, my business, my home, my family, there's not an in it for me. What do you want me to do? Then that's where we come to the people that are afraid, you see. They don't want to do this. They don't want to leave. Their, their, oh, I don't want to leave my business. I don't want to move home. I don't want to do this. Well, you have to, if you're going to surrender to the Lord, don't be asking what's in it for you. Ask in these last and late closing days of time, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do before you come back? What do you want me to do in light of the judgment seat? What do you want me to do in the light of the gifts that you've given to me? 
Is there something more in life, Lord, than this? Just going and coming and no desire, no longing, waiting till the meeting's over. Is that all he died for? Is that abundant life? Is that enjoying the Lord? I don't think it is, my friend. I'm wholly 100% certain that it's not. I was like that for 10 years. Wouldn't he care? Never went to a meeting. Never care. Went to, oh, save. Oh, man. Never doubted that in my life. But one day out in the Rona Briars in Market Hill Forest Park, spent a whole day before God and says, Lord, of all this, is this all that it is? And I tell you, I had an encounter with God that day that from that day on changed my life. I'm only testifying to my own life. Have you any experience like that? Let's take a moment to pass from the man and revival to the mockery. Look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 2. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? Others mock and said, these men are full of new wine. The very first ones out of the traps when the revival broke were the mockers. Now notice, that was before Peter even preached, before he opened his mouth. Now there's more mocking by the church, there's more mocking by the outsiders against the Holy Spirit than there is against God the Father and God the Son. And I suggest to you that it is a sign of the last days. Jude says, Mockers shall arise in the last time, carnal and sensual, having not the Spirit. You see, we hate to be aroused by the Holy Ghost. We hate to be aroused in preaching like this. We hate our wee world to be interfered with. And so often when we don't like something, and so often when we hear something, we criticize it, we mock it. Dangerous work. It wasn't when Paul preached on God the Father or God the Son that the mockers rose. It was when he preached on the resurrection. The power of the Spirit in the resurrection. That's the only place we get the word mocker in Acts 17 and 32. They mocked the resurrection. You see, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. He's a sensitive. He's a dove. He shoes away very quickly. And whatever you think of moves of God, whatever you think of, 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 of tongues, whatever you think of, of Pentecostals, whatever you think of them, shut your mouth and let me do the same. When I was a very young Christian, I wasn't all that many years saved. Within that ten-year period, I was in the company of a pastor. And he had other men around him. And he was laughing and joking at the Pentecostals. And he said, uh, I was preaching, he said, in the meeting there not so long ago, 
And one or two put up their hand in the meeting when we were singing. He says, I was wondering, did they want to go to the toilet? That's mockery, you know. Don't you ever be inhibited if you want to put your hand up in this meeting when you're singing or praising. Because it's completely scriptural. Completely scriptural. Or the two of them either. You lift your hands. It doesn't say we're going mad. It says that within that heart they want to express something. Let them do that. You know, that had an effect on me. You see, the word mocker here, these mockers, it means to screw up your face or stick out the lip, jest or jeer. When a move of the Holy Spirit starts in a church or a district in an area, we need to be very careful. God is not mocked. It's bad enough to mock at sin, but to mock the Spirit. They couldn't have been more slanderous than what they said here, these critics. And you'll always get them. Ah, me and Eddie Ray had a mission in Clock Mills. One of the first missions I ever had with the late Eddie Ray, the first mission nearly that I had, we were both just out of the college together. We were both in the college, the Baptist college together. And there was a wee Baptist church in the head in, in Clock Mills, in the head of the streets, not a very big place. Cowl Clock, to call it. Eddie went to a pastor in it for a number of years, but when he got the call, to, they asked me to come up and do a mission with him. I did a mission for three weeks with Eddie Ray in that place. And then some of the homes afterwards were talking to the old saints of God and you know what they told us? He says, we have the history, we have the record of the 1859 revival in Kells, which actually, um, Clark Mills only 10 miles, about 10 miles out of Ballymena. As the crow flies, it wouldn't be 10 miles away from Kells. And the Holy Spirit broke out in Kells and moved in, in, in a hockle in Kells and moved all through Ballymena and... That, that was the seat of it. That was the place where mighty things happened in that period. And it went round Ballymoney and it went round, it went round Clock Mills. If I said Clock Mills, this is Clock I'm talking about, not Clock Mills. Clock and Clock Mills, Clock Mills, as some of you know, not far away from it. It came round Clock Mills and Ballymoney. But, but Clock! He says it was as if God just put a ring right round the whole town of Clock. Not one thing happened in it. And they were able to tell me why, and I'm not telling you why. But I tell you, they were scoffers. And we need to be very careful at the scoffing. To tell these people that they were drunk at Passover time was one of the most blasphemous things they could have said because no wine was permitted at the Passover day. And plus the fact, Peter says, it's nine o'clock in the morning, have a bit of sense. How would these men be drunk? But these men were full of new wine. How did Peter handle it? Well, he handled it the way I'm going to handle it in the next week, or the next week or two. He took the two-edged sword 
filled with the Holy Ghost, he let the word loose. We need to let the word loose. We need to put all our wee doctrinal views and all the wee things that we've been taught and learned and we, we need to come back to the word and examine it before the Lord and the word and then, then challenge it if it's not in the word. So we open up the word. And we'll be doing that next week, the message. The message in revival. What a mighty message this was. Just in closing now, let me show you some similarities between the man filled with the Holy Spirit and the man filled with another spirit because there's obvious traits because they saw the traits. They saw these people as if some of them were drunk. A man intoxicated by a spirit and a man intoxicated with the spirit have similarities. First of all, They'll talk more. They'll chatter more. I was brought up in an area around there where I drew milk for men. And they used to drink twice a week, 12th of July. Big country farmers. Yet I hardly got a word out of them. They'd have grunted at you sometimes. Some of them were shy men. But you see, once they got the drink in, you couldn't have stopped them from talking. Talked about all sorts of stuff and all talked and nonsense. Do you know what the Lord says? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, ye shall speak. Put a full start at the speak. When a man or woman's filled with the Holy Ghost, they'll speak. They'll not be speaking about cars and homes and cattle. We used to sing down at the Kiladees Convention, we used to sing that hymn that they wrote at the 1859 revival in Kell. I can't remember just trying to get the verse of this morning. But start, what's the news? What's the news? What's the news? Clarence would know it. We used to sing in the Kiladee. What's the news? And that hymn was written after the 1859 revival. What's the news? They were saying, who was saved last night? How many was saved last night? What, how many's under conviction now? What's going on now? That's, they wrote that hymn because what's the news? What's the news we're hearing? Not about Brexit. Not about the immoral situation and decline in our land. What's the news? What's happening now? What's happening in the meetings? So they'll talk. They'll speak. And if we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we'll want to speak about the Master. But another thing they'll do, they'll sing. They'll sing. I said to Pat this morning, do you remember that hymn we used to sing at Kiladees, that hymn we're talking about, what's the news, what's the news? And, and, and uh, she was about to say, I, I do, and then I started to sing it. She said, if you'd have shut up, I might have got it. But I can't get it now, for that's not the tune of it. No, I'm sure it wasn't. No, I'm certain it wasn't. But you see, you'll sing... You'll be happy, you'll be joyful, you'll be praiseful. That's what's going on here. They're praising, they're happy, they're joyful. Are you happy this morning? Are you joyful this morning? Are you glad this morning? 
Another thing about them, they'll be unconscious. You see the old boys and the tie will be crooked and the hat will be over the side of their head and they'll be slabbering about and they'll not care what people think or say about them. No. Not care what men say, not care what women say. They'll just go on singing and ducking about the street. Full of wine. And another thing about them they'll give. There's a fella Charlie lived down behind us and you know he wouldn't have paid for nothing. He'd have never got a penny off me. He used to do my father he used to do work for my father. He used to take these bouts of drink and one day I was in Darragonley and Charlie came up the street drunk. I was only about twelve or fourteen at the time. Boy, he says, There's Bobby Johnson's son. He put the hand down in the pocket, but he took out a food. He took out a handful of money. I don't know how much was in. Give it. And if we are filled with the Holy Ghost, my friend, we'll hold nothing back from the Lord. And another thing, we'll fight. We'll stand for truth. As we bow down and I ran about it, his name was Ivan. And he, he was a lovely fellow. Motor mechanic. You couldn't get a better man than him to bled you, do anything. And he went out to the, out at night on Friday nights. We used to go to the dances and he'd drink beer. He'd drink beer, he was the best. He was just the same, never changed with it. See, once he started to drink whiskey. You beware. And once he got the whiskey in, he'd have fought. He'd have fought with anybody. I remember one night at the dance, there was a big fella came home from the Royal Navy. He was six foot two. He was a boxer. And didn't boil Dave and take him on. But he did. And he went into him like a terrier dog outside the Orange Hall in Derrigonley until he was cut in pieces. But you know, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we are filled with the Holy Ghost. We'll fight for truth. We'll stand for God. We'll not give in. When did the mocking start? When they come out of the prayer meeting. When did the mocking start? When they were united together in unity. A hundred and twenty of them. Ten days in prayer. You'll get the mockers. (sighs) Get the mockers. When they all became united, and listen, and I'm closing now, after they had left their past behind them, Mary Magdalene was in the upper room. She was praying in the upper room. She had demons... Demons after demons cast out of her. She left her demonic past behind. Peter left his dysfunctional past behind. James and John left left their discriminatory past behind. Remember John, the apostle of love, said that pull the fire down and burn up the Samaritans. Oh, all that had to go, my friend. It all has to go. 
You start talking about burning up Catholics, don't be talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. It all has to go. Once it all was gone, once they all united together and cried to God for ten days, and suddenly, 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 and I love that, suddenly. I tell you, I tell you, some Thursday night, like last Thursday night, he could suddenly, suddenly come. Don't you miss it. You're just as good a candidate for a man for revival than any, anybody else. May God help us this morning, above all, to seek to be filled with the Holy Ghost so that we have power to witness, power to preach, power from above to stand for truth like these men did after Pentecost. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And, O God, we pray that wherever there's a deficiency in our life, cold and barren, Lord, we want to seek thee for that filling, that anointing, that power of the Holy Ghost coming down in our lives. We'll have us singing and talking and witnessing and overjoyed with what the Lord's doing in our land and in our church and in our homes. Oh God, forgive us for our coldness. Lord, baptize us, we pray. Fill us, we pray. Whatever word we use doesn't matter, Lord, but we need to be anointed and filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that we'll enter into this great blessing And God has for us. And we'll see the revival moving through our land and through our people. We ask it in our Saviour's name. Amen.